Welcome back to Take a Closer Book. I'm your host, Guinevere Lee. Pride Month might technically be over, but it's never too late to show your pride as we are looking at the fantasy LGBT series, Prison Nights. This is an ongoing series, so only three of the planned six novellas have been written. The order of the series is not important. The author, Jay Kiakis, has assured me that they can be read in any order, with characters coming and going and intertwining. However, they are numbered according to the color. If you look at the rainbow flag, you'll find red on the top. So Coquelicot, or Red, the first written in the series, became number one. The next book I'm looking at is Sapphire, or Blue. So number five. Even though I am skipping three novellas, because they haven't been written yet, I assure you that you can still read the next two installations without worrying about spoiling Prism Nights 2 through 4. That being said, it will spoil Sapphire, so I hope you've read it before we begin. But before we get into the summary, let's get to some listener feedback. Coquelico is a story told from the POV of some pretty bloodthirsty villains, which people really took to, while also recommending some other villain-driven fantasy. Citrum69 said, I actually rather enjoy that style of storytelling, especially when it doesn't resolve into everyone is just shades of grey, while they have to personalize the villain and give the hero feet of clay to avoid making too strong a statement in either direction. While I don't mind everyone is just shades of grey, since in reality we are, I agree with Citrum in that it is refreshing to have villains just be villains, and not exist solely as a custom-made foil for the hero. Oz1N said, I tend to really like these sort of stories, as a sympathetic villain is one of those things that really elevates a narrative for me. Though sometimes I feel kind of bad about myself when I start to root for them. I thought that Vicious by Victoria Schwab was also fantastic, even though with the exception of maybe two of the POVs, everyone was a pretty terrible person. Great characters, terrible people. It's more tragic how the characters are shaped by the events of the book. While I must say that the ghost knights, the villains, and protagonists in Coquelico straddle the line between being sympathetic or just being cold-blooded killers, they are very clearly shaped by the events in the book. Maybe Cordelia could have had a good life if not for her abusive brother and her own actions leading to her imprisonment. Likewise, Fern's life would have been incredibly different if she had been reunited with Roe before meeting Cordelia. There are a lot of interesting what-ifs in that story. Alright, well, let's move on to the next novella in the series, number five, Sapphire. Summary! As in previous installations of the Prism Knights, we start with a single sentence. I'm coming to find you. We are introduced to Ivy Keaton, who is being plagued by strange dreams. In the dream, she sees a mysterious person named Floyd. Although they cannot touch, they can speak to each other. It's quite clear there is a connection between them, that Ivy is in love with Floyd. The text moves back and forth from Ivy awake to the dreams she shares with Floyd. In the text itself, the dream sequences are given in italics. The story moves fluidly from dream to waking reality. I am not going to be doing a beat-by-beat -beat summary because it would be impossible. But just be aware that these things are going on at the same time, overlapping. During the day, Ivy is a knight, known as the Midnight. She goes from town to town doing contract killings of beasts and monsters. She feels incredibly isolated and depressed. Ivy is determined to go out into the world and find Floyd. Floyd tries to dissuade her from the notion. Ivy deduces that Floyd must be kept prisoner somewhere. She assumes Floyd is the Cursed One. Apparently there are many stories circulating about the Cursed One. Ivy grows excited at the idea of finding Floyd. She doesn't want to be a knight that only kills. She wants to be able to save someone as well. The story of the Cursed One, or the Cursed Royal, is about how a royal was abducted by a fierce dragon. 
It's a story everyone is familiar with, and Ivy has essentially memorized. She is cleaning blood off of her sword, mumbling the story to herself, when her words and the blood from her fresh wounds collect on her fingers, forming a kind of thread. The thread unspools on the ground, and Ivy realizes it is leading her to Floyd. Floyd is using some kind of magic to guide her, and Ivy is just thankful to have a purpose. The thread of blood leads her through a forest filled with monsters, which she has no trouble slaying, and to a tower. Ivy climbs the tower and enters, Floyd whispering a warning to her in the dream. The tower turns out to be the very same that Cordelia was kept prisoner in during Coquelicot. Ivy realizes that Floyd must only be a dream after all, and the thread of blood only in her imagination. At her very lowest, Ivy contemplates jumping from the tower to her death. She stops herself from committing suicide, though, returning to her empty life as a monster slayer. Still, she dreams of Floyd and their words, I'm coming for you. Ivy camps in the woods, a fog descends, and two figures pass by her like ghosts. Ivy hides from them, covering herself with moss and letting her fire die. The figures disappear, and Ivy falls into a restless sleep. She is woken in the morning by a terrible black dragon. Ivy tries to reach for his sword before the dragon notices her, but as soon as she moves, it's on her. Ivy believes this is the end, welcoming her death. But the dragon doesn't kill her. Instead, it snatches her in its claws, taking flight, leaving behind her sword and everything she had. Ivy believes the dragon might be taking her to its young. She is strangely okay with this, preferring that her death contribute to something, rather than her corpse just being left to rot somewhere. The dragon lands at a black castle. Instead of killing Ivy, it pulls her to her feet, nudging her towards the derelict castle. Ivy enters, wondering how this castle came to be abandoned, and why the dragon was there. Was it protecting something? And only then does she realize this might be the dragon from the story of the Cursed One. I'm coming for you, Floyd had said in her dream. Having convinced herself that Floyd had only been a dream, at first she's in denial. She follows the dragon, though, and when she comes to her room, she finds Floyd asleep on a bed. The dragon transforms into a woman wearing scale armor. She tells Ivy she must kiss Floyd to break the spell, that the kiss must come from a knight who truly loves Floyd. She kisses Floyd, who immediately wakes up. She apologizes, feeling shame for having given up on her search for him, that he had to find her instead. Overwhelmed and injured, Ivy passes out. When Ivy wakes the next morning, Floyd is still there. Floyd explains that the dragon is named Larkspur. Floyd and Larkspur fell in love, but as a royal, Floyd was forbidden from marrying Lark. They fled, but Floyd's family cursed them. Floyd was pulled into a deep slumber, and Lark became the keeper of the captured royal, unable to break Floyd free from the curse with her kiss. Realizing Floyd and Lark are in love, Ivy feels despondent, but tries to push the feeling away. She asks for help removing her armor, since her arm is injured, and Floyd takes her to the bath to help. Floyd helps her remove her armor, and the two are nervous around each other. With her armor off, they both realize that Lark has returned. Lark asks Floyd to leave, to give Ivy some privacy, Lark remains to help her bathe, explaining how she used to tame beasts. When she learned witchcraft, she then learned how to transform herself into a dragon at will. Which is fitting, since she became the keeper of the cursed royal. Ivy clearly feels uneasy in the castle. She explores it, wearing the ill-fitting clothes Lark gave to her. She joins them for dinner, and while Lark reassures everyone that things will be fine once everything settles, Ivy can't help but feel she's intruding on the lovers. Ivy sleeps alone starting to get used to the feel of silk against her skin instead of leather or armor. She wanders through the abandoned castle, 
wondering what it must have looked like in its heyday, full of balls, feasts, and light. Ivy goes to Floyd's room. Floyd is sleeping, but rather than awaken Floyd, Ivy feels foolish and leaves, only to run into Lark. Apparently Lark had gone to check on her. Lark says that since the castle is so cold, Ivy ought to join them for warmth. The bed is more than big enough to accommodate them all. With Larkspur in the middle, they all curl up and fall asleep. On another day, Lark is pleating Ivy's hair. Ivy, feeling Lark's fingers play with her hair, is relaxed and nearly falling asleep. Floyd, amused by this, leans in and kisses Ivy. Ivy is surprised, and Lark only smiles. Ivy kisses Floyd back, surprised again by her own desires. Time passes and the weather grows warmer. Though Ivy wonders if the warmth she feels is coming from inside her for the first time. The castle and its gardens are beginning to change, Floyd and her bringing it back to life. Floyd teaches Ivy how to garden, and the grounds flourish. Ivy goes to deliver some fruit to Floyd and Lark, only to find them in bed together. Ivy is embarrassed and turns to leave, but Lark invites her in. Overcome by her desire, Ivy jokes that she's come to rescue the captured royal. Lark says that Ivy will have to go through her first, which Ivy gladly agrees to do. While in bed one day, Floyd asks Ivy if she believes dreams are real. Since she met Floyd through a dream, she has to believe they are. Floyd dismisses that, saying that they met through a dream thanks to a spell. But he's been having a dream about two dark figures and something terrible coming towards them. One day Lark and Floyd surprise Ivy by presenting her with a suit of armor, newly polished and repaired, complete with the sword and helmet she thought lost. Apparently Lark had gone back to retrieve the missing pieces from the woods, and they had repaired the armor as a gift. Instead of feeling happy, the gift makes Ivy feel uneasy. She can't quite find the words to explain what she's feeling, but Lark tells her not to worry, that she doesn't need to explain her feelings, and that maybe Lark should have known better than to present her with an armor right at that moment. Floyd wakes up screaming one night. When Ivy asks if it's the strange dreams again, Lark is surprised. Apparently Floyd hadn't told Larkspur about the dreams, not wanting to worry her, Floyd is convinced now the dreams are real, and the figures from it merely half a day away. Ivy suggests they run, though she is concerned about being able to protect two people on the road. Lark would rather stay and fight, fearing this is Floyd's kingdom come back to claim them. Since the kingdom believes Lark is dead, and they don't know about Ivy, she feels they have the element of surprise. She makes Ivy promise that if anything goes wrong, she will take Floyd and run. Ivy feels uneasy about all of this, but promises. Ivy gets her armor on, hating the coldness of the metal, feeling trapped once more by the hollow armor after being rid of it for too short a time. They make a plan. Floyd will go out to meet them, introducing Ivy and Larkspur and the heroines who freed him from the curse. Ivy has a terrible feeling, and remembers those two figures who passed her in the fog. Had they seen her? Would they recognize her if they were the same ones? There's a knock on the castle door. Something feels wrong, and Ivy begins to draw her sword. As she starts to explain what's on her mind, the door is open and two knights walk in, fog billowing around them. Lark transforms into a dragon, and is met by the knights' cackling laughter. Ivy recognizes the knights, grabs Floyd, and runs. Floyd is furious that they left Larkspur behind. Ivy explains how Lark made her promise to run with Floyd if something goes wrong, and Ivy explains that these two knights are not from Floyd's kingdom, that something has gone very wrong. They need to escape. These are the ghost knights. They exit the castle through the servants' entrance at the back of the kitchens, leading to caverns, a rope bridge being their only escape. Before they can reach the bridge, though, 
A throwing axe is nearly embedded into Ivy's head. Ivy gives her shield and the axe to Floyd, forcing him to flee across the bridge, while she turns to fight the knight. It is Fern. Ivy knows the knight by name, but the knight shows no sign of recognition. Ivy feels certain that the knight is devoid of her own emotions. Ivy might be able to take out the hollow knight, but suddenly another sword blocks her own. Ivy realizes the second knight, Cordelia, who should have been fighting with Lark, has joined them. Now forced to fight both Fern and Cordelia, Ivy stands no chance. Defeated, she looks back to see that Floyd has made it safely away. She smiles. Fern gives her a choice. She can search for Floyd with them and live, or she can die. Looking between the stoic Fern and amused Cordelia, Ivy's mind is already made up. The text ends, leaving us with a single sentence, maybe from the dream, or Ivy's memory, or maybe her decision. I'm coming to find you. Analysis. I'm sure I mentioned before how poetic these books are, and Sapphire might be the most poetic of them all, so far. It tends to repeat lines, much like a chorus. Lines like, I'm coming to find you, become rhythmic, giving the text a sense of urgency. It's like a drum or a heart beating out time. The first half of this book feels like a steady march as Ivy tries to follow her dreams, encountering frustration after frustration in her growing desire to find Floyd. And even when the two are brought together, there is still an urgency about the rhythm, letting the reader know that something is still coming towards them. The main color of the text is sapphire blue. In the LGBT rainbow flag, the color blue is meant to represent serenity, which is very fitting for this text. Ivy, more than anything, is seeking serenity. She dislikes being a knight, making a life by killing others, even if they are only monsters. By extension, blue is also the color most often associated with depression. When one feels blue, they are saying that they feel sad. Ivy is struggling with her own depression. She feels isolated and wants to be able to make a human connection, to feel something. Eventually, Ivy makes it to Floyd and Lark, and the three of them form a romantic bond together. What draws them together is not sexual tension, but just their longing to feel happiness, or rather, serenity. And even though it's short-lived, the end of the story gives the reader a sense of hopefulness. Finally, Ivy has made that human connection and found love, and whether she dies at the end or not, we feel that she finally has serenity. As with all the entries in the Prison Nights series, this too is based on a fairy tale, and a rather familiar one at that. This is, of course, a play on Sleeping Beauty. Floyd is the proverbial beauty this time, and the dragon which guards Floyd turns out to actually be Floyd's former lover who is just as cursed as Floyd is. Lark, forced to guard the sleeping Floyd, cannot use her own kiss to wake her lover up. This is why they need to summon Ivy, someone who can genuinely love Floyd and release both of them from the curse. It's interesting that Lark never shows signs of jealousy towards Ivy. While Ivy does at first feel a little strange around Lark, disappointed to learn that Floyd had feelings for someone else all along, in fact, Lark seems even more welcoming and enthusiastic about Ivy joining them, recognizing that Ivy has saved them both, and loving her for it. Oddly enough, this is not the first time I've seen someone include a romance with the dragon guarding Sleeping Beauty. Shrek, anyone? Foreshadowing! Really more connections. <laughs> the Ghost Knights! 
Here we have a brief but disastrous cameo from the Ghost Knights. The Ghost Knights, Fern and Cordelia, are the main characters from Coquelicot. As I mentioned briefly in the intro, it's unclear exactly when both stories take place, though since Roe is not present, we can imagine that the scene at the end of Sapphire probably takes place during the timeline of Coquelicot. Their appearance here leaves a lot up to the imagination. It's clear that Ivy and Fern have a history together, though no details are given. From the similarities in their names, both being named after plants, I get the sense that they might be related, or perhaps from the same village. Even their chosen knight names, being the Ghost Knights and the Mid-Knight, have a similar spooky connotation. Whether further installations of this series will go into their relationship and history together is something I hope author Jay Kiakis will expand on. And of course, Ivy does briefly climb and enter the tower that Cordelia was kept prisoner in during Coquelico, which foreshadows their appearance at the end of the book. Floyd is another character we will see again. Escaping from the castle at the end of Sapphire is certainly not the end. Floyd is a very central character in Velvet, but since that's the novella we're going to look at next, I'll just leave that there. Alright, that brings us to the end of episode 2. Thanks for reading or listening along. If you want your comments featured during listener feedback, you can message your thoughts to me on Facebook or Twitter at Guinevere Lee. That's at G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E. You can also find me under the same username, Guinevere Lee, on Reddit. You can join the discussion through topics I post on Reddit, or send me a tweet if you just want to share your thoughts. This month, you'll be able to find me at Ad Astra. Ad Astra is a science fiction convention that takes place July 12th to the 14th at the Sheraton Parkway North in Richmond Hill. I'll be there selling my books, which you can hear about in the ads after this episode. I hope you can swing by and say hello. For more info, check out adastra.org. That's A-D-A-S-T-R-A dot O-R-G. The next episode will be out August 1st, where we'll be looking at the final installation of Prism Nights, so far, number six, Velvet. Bye for now. You don't question why you're running through a forest of bamboo. You don't give yourself time to think. You run, you scream, you cry. You run and run and run and you hope the man chasing you with a bow and arrow doesn't kill you. Lita and the Samurai is a tale of a modern girl in ancient Japan, only available on Chanillo.com. That's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. Lita, a young woman who moved to Japan to escape her abusive family, is slowly adjusting to her new life. She's learning Japanese, making friends, and enjoying the summer festivals. On the day of the famous Tanabata festival, she finds a small shrine, but when she steps out of the shrine, she steps into Edo-era Japan. Trapped 400 years in Japan's past, what follows is half fantasy, half historical fiction. Is her coming here an accident? Or does it have something to do with the sudden appearance of European ships off the coast? Lita must discover how she ended up in this situation and how she can get back home, or if she even wants to go back. Lita and the Samurai updates bi-weekly on Mondays. You can read the first chapter for free on Chanillo.com. Once again, that's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L we were the first and we will be the last. From Morgan James Fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, 
by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the white snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsahalpa. The jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate, Tuhark, the merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the whispers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more about Guinevere Lee and her writing, visit GuinevereLee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E.com. And thank you for listening. Music provided by Bensound.com.